everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the Wharton FinTech Podcast. I'm your host, Anirudh Singh. Our guest today is Peter Sanborn, head of PayPal Corporate Development and PayPal Ventures globally. Peter initially started his career working with HSBC in Mexico City, helping the bank think through Latin America expansion. After that, he spent six and a half years in HSBC's Hong Kong office, facilitating operations throughout Asia. The international experience helped Peter as he transitioned to PayPal Ventures just before the spinoff announcement from eBay. Peter initially joined the corporate development team at PayPal and has since helped them launch their venture capital arm, which is on its second fund at $500 million. In today's episode, we dive into Peter's early career, what drew him towards venture capital, how PayPal Ventures operates within the larger PayPal ecosystem, how Peter's investment philosophy has evolved over the years, and more. We end with a rapid fire round of questions. Hope you enjoy the show. So hi, Peter, and thank you so much for joining us on the show today. How are you doing? Where are you joining us from? Hey, thanks for having me. Big fan of the podcast. I'm joining from uh, the Bay Area. Great. And uh, of course, we want to dive into your career at PayPal Ventures a bit, but uh, why don't we take a step back to start, and maybe you could just introduce uh, yourselves to our listeners and talk about how you uh, eventually came to join PayPal Ventures. Yeah, so my name is Peter Sanborn. I, I head up uh, PayPal's corporate development and our venture capital arm globally. Been at PayPal for nearly seven years in September. Before that, I started my career, took a little bit of the road, less traveled, and went down to Mexico City to join HSBC out of undergrad. There's a recently acquired bank uh, that HSBC had taken on there, and I really wanted to work internationally, see how financial services and uh, kind of the geopolitical arena took place outside of the U.S. Took that gamble, went down there. I thought I spoke Spanish well and and realized very quickly I did not speak business Spanish or uh, even understand kind of the local Mexican Spanish. So it was an eye-opening experience across multiple fronts, but I was very lucky. I was kind of taken under the wing of the of the CFO uh, within the Mexican bank there. I worked in strategic finance, investor relations, uh, kind of MI, financial planning and analysis. And the CFO really helped me understand what makes a bank tick, what makes different parts of financial services, businesses work, how do they make money, how do they lose money, what are the different levers that you can pull. Uh, and so I was fortunate to get a kind of real-time understanding of, uh, of some of the underpinnings of the financial services uh, arena. I then spent about two and a half years in Mexico City working there, helping them think through expansion into Latin America. And then I moved over to Hong Kong, and I knew I wanted to make a jump to Asia which H- with HSBC, largely because their bread and butter was, uh, was with Asia. Uh, it's called the Hong Kong Shanghai Banking Corporation. They're technically headquartered in in London, but uh, one of their biggest parts of their operation is based out of Hong Kong. It was at a time that they were massively expanding into the rest of the region. They were looking to bring on additional folks internally to help think through the M&A strategy and investment strategy across the region. And I was fortunate to to find myself in in a good place at a good time. So I spent almost six and a half years in Hong Kong, two weeks after I started there. I was on a plane to India to go do diligence on a wealth management company. I spent a decent amount of time there uh, and then spent a number of different projects in Indonesia, Vietnam, Australia, et cetera, and kind of the full gamut of early investments given some of the regulatory requirements around percentage ownership, uh, all the way up to full acquisition. 
Towards the end of my time, HSBC got in trouble with the regulators from an AML perspective, got into a deferred prosecution agreement, ironically enough, uh, for the bank that they acquired that I worked for in Mexico. Uh, and at that point, most of the activity that we did was to start disposing of, uh, of assets and, and, and trying to make the bank a bit more simpler and less complex. Great transaction experience, great way to see the world, but ultimately not a growth path in terms of thinking about ways that we could add value to customers, consumers, and start to build innovation on top of the core banking piece. And that's when I started to look towards uh, moving to PayPal. Definitely some foreshadowing in your answer there uh, with how international your role was at HSBC and some of the investments you've made uh, with PayPal Ventures. We'll get to that in a little bit. But talk to me about the decision to switch to PayPal. Why PayPal Ventures in, in particular? Yeah, it was a big decision. I knew uh, I'd spent almost a decade at that point outside of the U.S. Technically, I'd done some projects with HSBC within the U.S. You know, I took a step back. I started joining and mentoring some accelerator programs, started working with some earlier stage startups and companies and realized, frankly, the passion of entrepreneurs and how they looked at reimagining and re-envisioning the traditional architecture and landscape of financial services really resonated with where I thought the opportunities were. You know, within HSBC, obviously a massive bank had a number of opportunities to drive things and, you know, they're innovative in their own fashion, but I knew I wanted to find something that was certainly more growth oriented and where it was earlier stage enough that I could come in and, and kind of learn and, and help the company grow. I spent a lot of time looking back in the US and thinking about which, uh, which place to move. Was lucky to be, to be introduced into the PayPal team, realized it was uh, a good fit. And I joined two days before the spinoff announcement from eBay. So I was very lucky. And that was when Dan Schulman was announced that he would come on to be the CEO. And so PayPal uh, and eBay prior to were very payments oriented and knowing that Dan would come on uh, and bring on a financial services spin to the company was, was almost a blessing in disguise in terms of the background and experience that I had. Yeah, that's incredibly fortuitous timing. Could you explain the relationship between PayPal, the parent company and PayPal Ventures? and how being tied to such a successful fintech company gives PayPal Ventures an edge? Yeah, so when I first joined, PayPal Ventures didn't exist. I joined on the corporate development team. We largely did M&A and we did some one-off investments. And a couple of years into my time here, along with the rest of the team on, on the corporate development side, you know, we realized that some of the early investments that we were making we're not only generating financial value, but also keeping us closer to the market, helping us have a pulse on what was going on. And the companies that we invested in were also learning from us uh, or driving uh, commercial value from our relationship. And so we decided to formalize the venture arm and we kicked off with uh, a first fund of $350 million worked through that. We're now investing out of our second fund, which is $500 million. It's all on balance sheet, though. It's not technically a separate legal entity. Uh, you know, we have an agreed upon allocation with our board. And we've been investing, you know, for the last five years or so out of that fund, we have about 40 portfolio companies to date. And so because we're still part of the company overall, PayPal, you know, we can leverage and tap into all of the different experts that sit within the company to help us recognize trends, source deals, uh, and then ultimately add value back to the portfolio companies that we choose to invest in by 
enabling you know communication and different modules of uh, of learning for those portfolio companies with those experts internally. Understood. So when you're making an investment, do you consider the company's synergies with PayPal overall, or do you make it uh, the investment as a standalone investment, even if it may not work uh, with PayPal's overall strategy? Yeah. So when we first started the fund, we we looked at the corporate venture capital model overall, what had worked well and what didn't seem to work well. And obviously there were some great examples, Salesforce ventures, et cetera, that, that we looked to emulate in, with a couple of core principles. One being, how can we help founders and companies achieve their goals without being uh, an impediment or, or a large strategic that you know could block or perceive to block how a company thinks about its strategic aspirations in the future? And so when we think about a deal, it's actually not related to the synergies of PayPal. First and foremost, it's do we think that we can add value to the company and take things that we've learned along the way or what we've seen in different geographies around the world and imply that to the company? And then secondly, it's the financial value. So we look at it, strategic sensing value. How can we have a two-way street? We teach them, they teach us and keep our pulse on the market. And then secondarily is the financial value. Clearly, you know, we have to make the returns in order to keep getting capital allocated internally. So that's a second and an important component. And then the third piece is we do try and um, help drive commercial relationship and commercial partnerships with our companies, but it's not a prerequisite. Some corporate venture capital arms do have that as a prerequisite. And we've found that it's often better to let those relationships develop organically rather than trying to force fit a, a partnership. And in many cases, you know, we are able to grease the wheels and find a way to unlock commercial value. But if we don't, and we, we're, we're solely capital and financial investors and, and driving strategic value to them, uh, that works just as well. So I'll ask this next question. How do you personally balance between thematic investing, thesis-driven investing, or investing based off of your relationship with founders? And has this perspective changed at all during your career? You know, it's it's a great question and, and probably given where we're at right now in the cycle, even even more relevant. I think the number of companies raising funds and the amount of capital in the space is probably at an all-time high. And so there's certainly a danger of investing just by what's being thrown at you or what's knocking on the door. I think when we first started, you know, raising the fund and internally and, and getting people behind it. We invested largely based on relationships as well as also what was coming in through the door. And I think we were less thematic or thesis driven. You know, in hindsight, there's a lot of things we learned from that. You know, we tended to drive our decision making based off of what some of the business unit owners internally would think about a company. We realized pretty quickly that, you know, they're very focused on the next 12 to 24 months and not thinking longer term. And if they didn't find something as interesting in the short term, that actually was a, a contrarian kind of light bulb for us to say, maybe this is something we should be looking at. But we missed, obviously, some companies early on as a result of, uh, of that approach. Where we've come to today, because we've you know, been in a fortunate position of being part of PayPal, which plays in, in a large part of the, of the fintech universe, We've been able to develop different theses, see different types of themes play out in different geos and be much more targeted with our approach and in a thematic manner. Now, it's always a balance. There's always going to be companies that we find interesting that are raising. We weren't expecting them to raise uh, as quickly and therefore, you know, we'll want to take a look at it. 
But on balance, we try and get back to the thematic piece as much as possible these days. So I have to ask, because you mentioned a few misses, especially early on, any misses that keep you up at night? I mean, look, nothing keeps me up at night. I think it's more, can you recognize where you have missed, why that was maybe the case, and what can you learn from it? I think Bessemer and and others have some great examples of uh, of publishing what their misses were and, and why. You know, I think the lesson we learned is... You know, a good example, we were speaking to Marquetta very early on about helping to power some of the payments within Venmo. Uh, ultimately, uh, we went a different, a different way from a commercial partnership perspective in parallel. And this is in the very early days of our fund. You know, we looked at it from a venture perspective, but I think we were blinded by the choice our commercial team made to go with another provider. Had we been where we are now, uh, and recognizing that ultimately we need to have a separate individual perspective on these companies and not be 100% guided by if there's a commercial partnership. You know, I, I think we maybe would have made a different choice there, easy to say in hindsight, but that's certainly one that I think we missed as, as a result of how we approached uh, the venture in the early days of, uh, of the fund formation. So let's talk about some of your hits, though, maybe a few of your portfolio companies. I had one in mind in particular, Modular. For those that don't know, Modular provides payment APIs for businesses to automate and embed payments. Can you talk about the thesis that led to this investment and your thoughts on the company overall? Yeah, and so maybe to start at a larger level, then we'll dive into Modular. One of the things that I think has played to our strengths is our ability to invest globally and to look at different pockets of innovation around the world. Uh, with both the team that we have directly within PayPal Ventures, as well as just leveraging the broader network uh, that PayPal has overall. And so why that's relevant is different themes, different theses play out in in different time manners uh, across the world. And and by recognizing some of those, even if they're in our core business, uh, we can find ways to invest behind those in different geographies. And it's not, uh, not competitive to how we're thinking about the world. And so Modular was one that one of my colleagues led in, in Europe. And uh, in the, in the real thesis behind that is taking payments as a service uh, and taking some of the trends that were happening in Europe around open banking, faster payments, et cetera, and taking that into a very simplistic API-driven model of a middleware player that can ultimately simplify payments in the in how you embed payments into into software. And so I think that theme's probably been spoken about on on other podcasts uh, that you've had uh, and that everyone's a fintech. This was a company that is kind of taking almost a differentiated approach to a more complex payments environment in many respects in Europe and trying to be the next gen way of enabling uh, use cases, particularly on a B2B fashion. Uh, that didn't exist previously or that companies weren't able to do without you know heavy internal build on their own. And so what what we liked about it, it's a it's expen- it's extensible to multiple different areas. You could have integrated payment options and accounting platforms, loan disbursement within lending platforms, you know, helping ERP software platforms get uh, a regulated payments partner. Uh, even the neo banks uh, in Europe, you know, if they're offering bank payment capabilities, you know, they need a partner and modular is something that can help them with that. And so it's a play on the open banking and the broader proliferation of, uh, of bank payments in Europe. Uh, it's a play on B2B payments and finding a way to embed the payments into software. 
and it gave us exposure in a geo that we thought was um, a little bit less developed than the U.S. in that respect. Got it. And continuing down the theme of international investments, uh, I noticed you also invested in Neon, uh, the Brazilian company. Can you talk a little bit about how this investment came to be? Yeah, so Neon, maybe again, taking a step back, probably one of the early investments that we did as part of the fund was a company called Toss in South Korea. And uh, that's relevant because we took our learnings from Venmo and seeing how fast P2P drove engagement in the virality of a network extension for consumers. We noticed that in Toss in South Korea, which had its underpinnings as a P2P player, uh, they started building additional consumer financial services on it. And today, one of the leading financial services uh, providers in Korea. And the reason why that's relevant to Neon is in both of these instances, we took lessons learned from what PayPal or Venmo and some of the other things we've done internally, what we learned from those and how we could apply those to, to the thesis-driven or thematic-driven uh, investment. Brazil's been a country that been focusing on for several years. We unfortunately hadn't pulled the trigger before Neon, but it's unique in many respects. I mean, the profitability of the market from a financial services perspective is, is, is one of the best in the world. Uh, it's ripe for consumer plays uh, and disruption of the, of the traditional banking environment, particularly from a customer service perspective. And then there's also graphics and size of population that make it, you know, frankly, a perfect breeding ground for companies to do well. Now, obviously, you've seen Newbank has absolutely crushed it. We did a lot of work in terms of, is there room for another player in the market? Uh, and can they be taking a slightly differentiated approach from both a demographic perspective as well as a product perspective? And so, you know, we spent a lot of time looking at neobanks globally. We haven't invested very largely behind that, that theme for many different reasons, but Neon excited us for all of those, uh, all of those different reasons. To put a bit more context around the scope of international investments, uh, you've invested in companies in Japan, Brazil, UK, US, and a number of others, whereas a lot of traditional VCs will maybe operate in one or two regions. What allows you to operate so internationally? And then on the flip side, what are some of the learnings you've had over the years for how better to do so? Yeah, I think it starts with having local market expertise. Some of the companies we'd invested in Asia, South Korea, Japan, India, etc., was due to the fact that a number of the folks on our team have worked in those markets uh, extensively and, and had a network built up and had a good opportunity to understand what makes uh, these companies and these markets tick. So I think that worked for kind of layer one in terms of the first you know, four or five investments that we've made. What we've realized, though, is you, know, you very much need to have a mix of both global perspective and on-the-ground presence in order to, to truly find the companies that we want to invest in. So it's a good model because we have a set of learnings that we take from each company around the globe, whether that's Payti or Hay in Japan or you know, Neon in Brazil or Pine Labs in India etc. And we look at those and say, how do those fit into broader global themes or trends? Uh, what can we learn from them? Are there other geos that we can invest behind if we're still bullish on the overall theme? But then that's only the first half. The second half has to be, do we have enough local market knowledge or on the ground presence to really understand how those themes may be differing in the local nuances that come together? And so 
you know, versus some of the traditional funds, there are several that are global and, and kind of look at things holistically. There are others that, that stick to specific regions and they don't have the presence around the world. I think we're, we're lucky to be blessed with a number of people internally across the PayPal business and platform that help us uh, have a global reach and expansion versus other players. Switching topics a little bit. Uh, I know that PayPal Ventures had a big portfolio summit in 2019. Uh, how was the experience of bringing all of these portfolio companies to one place? And how have you approached doing that over the past year and a half where maybe it wasn't possible? Yeah, 2019 was the first time that we finally got everyone together, as many many of the companies as we could together uh, internationally. And I think that's really when the power of the PayPal platform and, and our investment approach really took notice both within the portfolio companies for us on the investment side, and then frankly, within PayPal more broadly, you know, it's one thing to say, let's find lessons learned and different ways of approaching uh, problems or solutions in different markets and apply it. But bringing that all together and having the founders talk real time uh, and learn from each other around the globe, I think that's something unique where you could theoretically have two companies doing something very similar, one in Latin America, one in Asia, but there's no competitive overlap. And so their ability to learn from one another was unlocked there. And I think that during COVID, that's been extremely challenging. I think, you know, everyone's been on Zoom calls from uh, early morning to early evening, especially those that are investing or working across uh, different markets uh, around the world. You know, we absolutely want to get people to come back together. We're excited to do our next forum. In the meantime, what we have been doing is very much focused on one-on-one -on -one relationships with our portfolio companies, you know, outside of the boardroom, outside of the formal meetings, making sure that, you know, we're connecting in a way that allows our uh, founders to share what, what their needs are, how PayPal can be helpful, you know, where we may be able to partner or in many cases, just vent and, and not have to get on another Zoom call and be able to, to take a walk around the block and, and connect with folks where possible. Are there plans for a 2021 or 2022 summit? We're working on it. Uh, for sure in 2022, we'll do it. You know, I think 2021 is still, still to be determined. I think because we're a global, a global investor and, and some of the markets we've invested in are, are still facing some, some critical challenges. You know, we're trying to be conscious of of uh, how we can benefit the, the majority of the portfolio, but also being uh, careful and, and thoughtful around uh, around what some of uh, some of our founders and their employees are facing in different countries. So zooming out a little bit, I'd love to pick your brain about, uh, you mentioned thematic investments, so I'd love to talk about some of the investment themes that you're excited about over the next few years. Uh, any trends you're watching for the next five years? Yeah, again, this is a benefit of uh, being within PayPal and, and kind of seeing how PayPal is approaching things, how our partners approaching things, and then similarly what we can focus on from a venture's perspective. I think the combination of uh, an intersection of payments, commerce, and financial services, there, there's a number of different kind of themes that drop out of that. But, you know, there's been a lot about every company is uh, a fintech or every company can be a payments company. We're particularly interested in the commerce stack. I think just as you've seen uh, on the financial services side on bundling and, and rebundling, I think you're starting to see that within the commerce space as well. You know, obviously with Shopify doing so well, Amazon doing so well, there are a number of companies that have come out that are either playing it within parts of that ecosystem 
uh, and starting to try and own it, or or they're and taking a vertical approach, or they're taking a more horizontal approach, but focusing solely on consumers or solely on small businesses. Uh, and so we're pretty excited to continue to to explore and analyze the commerce stack and, and where payments and financial services, and frankly, where PayPal can help proliferate that. I'd like to now enter the final round of our discussion, which is the rapid fire round. Uh, we aim for answers here to be about 10 seconds or less. Uh, you ready to go? Yeah, I'll do my best. All right, let's do it. Uh, first, what is your favorite book? Probably a toss-up between 1Q84 and Sean Turam, two kind of long-winded uh, novels that uh, you know make you really think about what's important in life. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Sean Turam, for sure. Uh, what was the last show you binge-watched? Honestly, I haven't had a ton of time to watch TV, but Queen's Gambit was probably the last one we watched and uh, you know, certainly made my wife and I uh, want to try and play chess uh, all the time thereafter. I had about a one-week uh, chess binge after that show. Uh, <laughs> I think it was similar. <laughs> Any hobbies you picked up during the pandemic? Yeah, definitely have been uh, hiking more, trying to take calls where possible on, uh, on the phone rather than always on Zoom. And, and then I picked up uh, mountain biking as well. Nice. Did you have a 2020 resolution? And if so, uh, how are you doing on it? I guess it was similar to the last one, but uh, I told myself I wouldn't be on video calls all day long. And so I'm trying to uh, at least walk and talk or walk uh, on the phone or live uh, at least once or twice a day. I'm loosely following that and hopefully I'll, uh, I'll get better in the second half here. What's your favorite vacation that you've been on? Uh, probably New Zealand, uh, very much outdoors, love being, uh, uh, able to explore nature and, and, uh, see different parts of the world. And, and New Zealand's probably right at the top of, uh, favorite countries. Yeah. I'm getting an outdoors theme from, from these answers. Uh, <laughs> last one, you can take a bit more time on this. Uh, what was the best piece of advice that you were given on the job? I would say there's a couple of things. One early in my career, back to kind of one of those mentors in, in HSBC, they gave an analogy of always have magnifying glass and a telescope at your disposal. And really the theme behind that was know when to uh, look at the detail, go deep on the analytics with your magnifying glass, but then you know also be thoughtful of when you pull out and, and look at things from a 10,000 foot view perspective with the telescope. I think that's probably a pretty good to, to wrap it up. Uh, were there any conversation topics that you wanted to touch on today that we didn't get to? No, this, is, this has been great. I really appreciate it. You guys have done a phenomenal job building out the Wharton FinTech brand. The guests that you've had have been amazing. I'm, uh, I'm excited to be a part of it. And thanks for having me today. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Wharton FinTech podcast. If you like the show, please consider leaving us a review or letting us know in the comments. It means a lot and helps spread the word to more listeners. If you want more content from our fintech community, please subscribe to our podcast channel and find us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Medium, and Twitter at Warden Fintech. There you will find interviews, articles, videos, and much more analyzing all aspects of the industry. I would also like to thank our editor, Raphael Austria, for his incredible work on our episodes. Signing off, I'm your host, Anirudh Singh.